The Lord be with you. When my firstborn son, Elijah, was born, he was in uh, the spacious maternity ward at St. Paul's Hospital on Burrard Street in Vancouver. And I'll have you know that on that day, I played my part. I stood beside the bed and I held Buffy's hand as she labored, calling out my very best encouraging phrases. She's really tough. And I was in awe. I was astonished by her power and absolutely gobsmacked in the wonder and the miracle of it all. You're amazing, Buffy. Keep going, honey. You're doing so well. We're almost there. But then I tried to mix it up a little bit. It was an effort to find the right words that might adequately describe the way that I was marveling at such strength. And I said, Buffy, you're a machine. (laughs) And not missing a beat... One of the women in the room, not unlike some of the women that chortled behind me just now, looked me directly in the eye, and with an uncompromising tone, she said to me, Your partner is not a machine. She's a biological being. And for a brief moment, I thought, Hey, I get it. It's just a metaphor, and I'm just the daddy, and these are clearly not my labors. But maybe let me choose the encouraging turns of phrase and expressive cheers for my spouse. But (laughs) I held on to that thought for only the briefest of moments. Because if you looked around the room, I was the one man in a room full of women and each of them were tending to Buffy's needs so well with such care and attentive kindness in this primal and ancient practice that women have shared for millennia. So I held my tongue and I grinned a big dumb grin and I was grateful to be in such a moment And Buffy held my hand, and I cheered, and I watched Eli come into the world. (laughs) What a picture. In such holy moments, sometimes there are no words. The people we encounter in the Gospels are going about their days and they're making their plans and they're paying their bills and worrying about their children and their mortgage rates and their crops and their livestocks, and they're living out their day in the joys and the sorrows and the seasons. But then one day they had an encounter with the living God. And these little bits of scripture are the the little things that we get to read about. And all of these characters play their part and they act out what becomes the human portion of this divine story. And their assorted reactions to these holy moments might not always be models for us. Actually, lots of times they're not. Sometimes they're really embarrassing (laughs) reflections. But time and again, these characters show us the strangeness and the wonder 
and the surprise of a living God coming into our busy world. And with these Bible characters, we can name our own doubts and fears and questions, and we can try and find the words for our gratitudes and our joys. Next door in Luke's Gospel, after days of anxious waiting, Mary, the expectant mother, finally made her way to the countryside in the company of her cousin Elizabeth. And those two women embraced one another, and the spirit of creation filled the both of them. And Elizabeth cries out, you might remember, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then Mary cuts loose with one of the most famous prophetic songs in all of Scripture. My soul magnifies the Lord, she sang. And in that song, she proclaims the mercy and the power of the Mighty One who scatters the proud and fills the hungry with good things. And make no mistake, it's a beautiful and it is a dangerous song. The sort of subversive speech that still gets people thrown in jail today. You can hear a general on a portico somewhere saying, Where do people get such ideas? Like those courageous women that are taking to the streets in places like Iran and Afghanistan, even right now. Where do they find such courage to sing such songs Dangerous songs of hope and defiance. Songs the world needs to hear. Mary's song is a hymn that hungers for justice. It's a song that sees what a better world could look like. It's a sort of truth to power words that rock the foundation of the world. A refrain of relentless hope that names the promises of God. Mary had to sing. Maybe it's something about the mirth of the Spirit and the miracle of mothering that child into the world. Maybe it was just time for a poor, tribal, Judean girl to make her mark on human history. And didn't the Spirit take such delight in filling Mary's lungs with such holy fire? Her soul magnifying. Maybe life as the teenage container of the uncontainable God just spills out of you in joyous, prophetic, dangerous, beautiful song. There's just no holding it in. But you probably noticed we didn't actually read Luke's Gospel this morning because we're in year A of the lectionary. And this week... Once every three years, we get a shot at this story in Matthew 1. And Mary isn't in the spotlight. This is the Joseph story. And just to let you all in on the secret, there is no Joseph song. As far as the Gospels tell it, Joseph wasn't even much of a talker. We don't get so much out of a peep of him, from him in the pages of Scripture. But Joseph was a dreamer. Visited by angels between his REM cycles. 
Didn't the prophet Joel tell us, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Friends, if our daughters are singing and prophesying, may our sons dream dreams. Matthew chapter 1 is a big swirl of content, and Matthew wants to do a lot of heavy lifting in a few short verses. There's a whole sermon in that series of names that I made Ryan read at the beginning. (laughs) Sorry, those those are a lot of weird names in there. There's probably a sermon for another, sermon series for another Advent, maybe. We could take a ride through those names with Matthew. From the first sentences, though, Matthew hopes to make something really, really clear. And that's that this Jesus is connected to the story of Israel. And as he drives this home with a really clunky ride across that landscape of Scripture, he runs past some prominent names from the Hebrew story until he finally arrives and focuses his interpretive lens on a 700-year-old promise from Isaiah 7. It was our first reading today. And then finally, in, in verse 18, Matthew gets to some of the local human details of the story. It's the real tension of the first Jesus story. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. A man with theology on the brain definitely wrote this. Because it's like Matthew didn't even really think it all the way through as he recounted this first troubling and difficult detail. Because there was only one way to save Mary from her difficult situation. The idea that Joseph might quietly divorce his pregnant fiancé, that's a gross oversimplification for such a problematic reality. Just imagine, in that cruel world, a single teenage mom even if she's been quietly divorced, would have faced a life of hardship and shame as an outsider, a pariah, or maybe even worse. Truly, the only way Joseph could have saved Mary any disgrace would have been to get married to her. We are told that Joseph was a good guy. He was thoughtful and kind. Even as he faced the whispers of those townsfolk, Was Joseph angry or hurt, embarrassed, worried, afraid, heartbroken, all of the above blended together? Did those choices and questions spin in his head as he lay up at night, imagining the look on Mary's face as he tried to let her down easy? What a blow. What a gut punch that was going to be. How could he do it? But sleep 
finally found that troubled young man. And Joseph, the dreamer, dreamed one of his angel dreams. And an angel of the Lord, with words of promise, comes to him with the story of a miracle baby and dear, sweet, faithful Mary, blessed among women. And the angel says, you will name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. We English speakers get the name Jesus from the Greek Jesus, which is the Hellenized Hebrew Yeshu, which is a short way of saying Yeshua, which is a still shorter way of saying Yehoshua, which is really, coming back to English again, is now Joshua, which is a name you probably remember from some of those first Hebrew stories. It's a name which means God saves. And in English, we miss the pun that the angel was making. You will name him God save because he himself will save his people. And then Matthew can't help but interrupt the story and pipe in a little bit of scripture with that chunk of Isaiah 7. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call him Emmanuel which means God with us. A baby, human, born Jesus who saves us. A with us God called Emmanuel. And so Joseph woke up. And imagine his day as he went for that meeting with Mary and it wasn't the horrible breakup that he had dreaded. There were tears of joy and such an embrace and no doubt another Mary song, even if it's not one that you and I will ever get to hear. The God who had remained with the Hebrew people for all those clunky hundreds of years stood now with the man Joseph. And without uttering a word in scripture, Joseph the dreamer would give names to the Son of God, the Son of Man. Salvation of the world and God with us. The Spirit is so alive in these Christmas stories and this same Spirit stirs some of us to song. But it also calls many of us to silence. A holy sort of prophetic silence even. Sometimes we break that silence with our voices. And sometimes there simply are no words. So many of us have been raised in traditions which give preference to the speakers and the singers and the lecturers and the preachers and the people on the stage and in the lights with the microphones. Well, my hope for us is part of our practice is the reclamation of what is hopefully the, the wisdom and the time and the space given to silence. The wisdom to trust the Spirit when we are called to let the silence be. The practice of marinating in that silence. And if I dare take a soapbox for a moment, we live in such a noisy world. The backdrop of our lives is so often overwhelmed by competing voices and 
shouting voices. I think it's safe to say that a lot of the people who name Jesus as Lord could choose some holy silence for a change. Try some silence that doesn't draw attention to itself. The watchful silence of Advent. The creative silence that soaks it all in and waits. Silence that carries on with works of love and faithfulness, but in the background. With our brother Joseph forming a quiet company of folks who carry on in wonder and in the miracle of it all. Sometimes there are no words. Words. 